What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Coming to you from deep in the Ozarks and Ridge Runner Studios. This is the Nursing Underground podcast that will help clear the white noise in medicine and politics, and help you define the forest from the trees. Here is your host, David Big Dave Ezel. Welcome to the Nursing Underground. And good evening everybody, this is Big Dave coming to you from somewhere in the Ozarks, from parts unknown. Uh, <clears throat> on March the 1st, uh, in the State of the Union address, Joe Biden announced his intention to, quote-unquote, set a higher standard for nursing homes to make sure your loved one gets the care they deserve and expect. These new measures call for increased oversight of nursing homes, ownership, financial transparency, and minimum staffing standards. Y'all have to understand that 75% of all nursing homes have inadequate staffing. That's 75% all across the country. And I don't know how they're going to get things fixed. I'll explain all of this on the end of the show. Um, They're trying to tie the inadequate staffing to increased nursing home demises for COVID. It's all BS. I'll explain all of it when we get back from our break, but right now, um, here's a word from my primary sponsor. Do you have a friend or family member you're having trouble buying a gift for? You just can't find the right gift for the person who has everything? Then go to Rockin' Magnolia Customs, a place where you can pick out and design the perfect gift for that special someone. That's RockinMagnoliaCustoms.com or find them on Facebook at Rockin' Magnolia Customs. And that's uh, Rockin' Magnolia Customs, where the rockin' has no G, and the customs is always with a K. RockinMagnoliaCustoms.com um, There's an idea floating around out there that <clears throat> uh, nursing home staffing is just now seeing this major shortage. The problem is nursing home staffing's always been short. For years and years and years. Um, the destruction of the nursing homes began with the 1987 Omnibus HIPAA Act. Um, I got into nursing shortly thereafter. Um, I can tell you for a fact that MDS data sheets used to have three to four pages on it. And now they're a minimum of 50 or 60. 
Because through the years they have added and added and added and added and added stupid stuff in to maintain all of these criteria for nursing home care. In the meantime, they've added all this criteria. They never really increased funding for nursing homes. And the companies that own nursing homes never saw sense to increase staff to meet these criteria in a timely fashion. Um, you know that the home, these criteria for nursing homes, such as immunization rates and UTI infections and dose reductions of medications and psychotropic do, uh, drug reduction doses, all set forth by a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. And then say, oh, well, we're not going to increase the money. You should be able to figure out how to do your money. But the corporate conglomerate ownership and their infinite wisdom said, well, we don't have to do that. So we're not going to do it. So they didn't increase pay. They didn't increase their staffing. But they did make us have to do a whole lot more work. And it floated along like this for years. Everybody was fully aware that there was a shortage in nursing. And then came COVID-19. I see the word crisis in all my research. Every other paragraph has the word nursing crisis, nursing crisis, nursing crisis. But yet, nobody in D.C. is acting like there's a nursing crisis going on. They think everything's good with the status quo. They turn around and fire off $1.7 billion to the Ukraine to help their health care workers. But they didn't do anything here in the country. It was so uncovered, this $1.7 billion was so uncovered in the news cycle that I was griping about it at work. And one of the guys looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And when I told him, his jaw kind of dropped. I ain't heard nothing about it. Uh, let me show you. And I pulled it right up and flipped to my Google News and there was article after article after article on it. Printed, digital, but nothing on the quote-unquote mainstream voice news media. So, this global crisis called COVID-19, it really hit the nursing home sector hard. Um, now let's, let's pretend it's a hurricane and nine times out of 10 in a hurricane after a hurricane is over with FEMA sweeps in and, and they judge the aftermath of the storm and, and they go and try to start throwing money at the problem and getting things fixed and getting people houses fixed up and, and getting the streets redone and getting the streets cleaned up and making it livable and movable and, and, you know, more American again. But after this hurricane called COVID-19, we're hit with a workforce shortage historically not seen before and high inflation on, to couple on top of it, and higher gas prices and higher food prices and a distribution system that is inept, um, holding back in the warehouses stuff or sending it to the quote-unquote border crisis that they're more concerned with than they are in the actual care of the elderly and infirmed in this country. Uh, 
if this was the first time something like this happened, I'd understand they would do it. But this ain't the first. It's not the second. It's not even the third time that we've had our backs against the wall and had to overcome a series of challenges. Our biggest challenge that we're facing in the long-term healthcare industry right now, besides the bureaucrats in D.C. who are absolutely do-nothing, finger-up-their-ass politicians, is that a death rate among nursing home employees and residents was around 200,000. And I have a feeling that that number that they've given us, that's way undercounted. Um, in the start, you, you couple that 200,000 along with the 241,000 workers that was lost in the long-term care industry since the start of this pandemic. We haven't recovered. We're not going to recover. They don't care if we recover. This is what's called, uh, in literature, we're taught the frame story. You've got one primary story going on, then you've got all of these other stories going on around that story. It's called a framework story. But what you've got in the, in, the, in the healthcare industry right now is a crisis on top of a crisis on top of a crisis. So we have a crisis Big Mac. Um, and if you think that these lobbying groups give a crap, they do not care. The AHCA, the National Center for Assisted Living, and the American Healthcare Association, and their awesome, awesome lobby effort, who don't care nothing about the workers or the residents laying in the bed. They only care about the conglomerate ownerships. They're projecting 400 sniff, or skilled nursing facility closures this year alone. You couple that with the, the, the financial pressure of, of COVID-related costs, PPE, testing, uh, trying to keep staff, having to pay agency to come in the building, these are super, super, super huge economic challenges. But I don't know how many billions of dollars we sent to a war that we have no business being in, no business backing, uh, just to, so they can cover up all of their uh, research facilities in the Ukraine. And if they just sent some of that money and poured it into the healthcare sector and said, okay, uh, this is we're going to put all this money into our healthcare sector just so they can recover from what we just put them through. And all these companies, AHCA, American Hospital Association, Leading Age, which is a policy making group, they've they've told all these policy people, all of these legislatures, put their money where their mouth is, but they don't do it. Uh, the Biden administration unveiled its plan to do this nursing home before and do another focus on minimum staffing. We've had the minimum staffing before. It didn't do nothing then. It won't do nothing now. They'll fight it and fight it and fight it until it's put off and put off and put off until it's just forgotten. Um, they want to holler about punitive damages if nursing homes don't follow the rules. Well, They've been doing the punitive damage thing to nursing homes for years and it hadn't slacked the ownership up from doing just what they want to do, running just as slow as they want to run. Funding, but that's only part of the solution. 
you, without any staff, they, the people don't get care. Simple fact. You don't have the people to work it, then people that need the care don't get the care. Our country as a whole, we're kind of selfish. Um, I made a statement earlier on um, healthcare workers at the beginning of the pandemic were heroes. Everybody wanted something to get behind and we were the only thing between the public and an invisible enemy nobody could see. We were the front line. We were your stateside militia per se. Um, heroes to the max. And then it got out that these nurses, some of these nurses were making $10,000 a week. And okay, it was okay at the beginning because they're putting their lives on the line. Just for COVID? You think we put our lives on the line just for COVID? I don't know if y'all watched the news lately. If you hadn't, you're missing out on a big, big, big thing. Today or yesterday, two nurses that went missing on the same day, drove the same car, did the same job, two different parts of the country, they went missing where their bodies were found. They've been missing about 10 to 14 days. They were on the side of a road in a place nobody was high to travel dead in their vehicles. Nurses have put their lives on the line in the ER. Um, drug addicts running in the ER and stabbing nurses to get the narcotic keys so they can get them some oxycodones or uh, hydrocodone or fentanyl or whatever the narcotic they're able to access. And they're stabbing nurses. We put our lives on line every day. Um, but we went from heroes to zeros in two years. Nobody, it's all lip service. It's always been lip service, and that's all it's ever going to be, is lip service. Um, I mean, I'm going to give you a ton of this stuff that I've, read about where i'm just gonna put it out there um since january of 2020 around 400,000, and that's counting the numbers i've decided before nursing home assisted living staff have quit and they cite pandemic exhaustion it's true uh, and i'm older and i've been doing this a long time um and i'm tired i can't even hold out to work of i used to work five twelves a week and now 312s is just slinging me against a wall. I am so tired when I get through. Um, we don't have enough schools to put out the nurses to make up for just the 400,000 long-term care workers that were lost, much less the 541,000 uh, hospital nurses and health care workers that they lost on the hospital acute care side. And it, and and now you got nursing homes closing. You're creating a backlog of care. <clears throat> Almost like a design. If you're going to take over the health care industry, it's like taking over a country. You starve them out. You put them in means um, to where they have to do things they wouldn't normally do. Okay, I'll compare it to this. The siege of Vicksburg during the Civil War. 
the military, the, the Union Army, surrounded Vicksburg, Mississippi. They let nothing in and nothing out. Well, the government's doing the same thing with health care workers. They have cordoned us off from the public. They have kept us silent for far too long. And they have put the squeeze on us now. Um, we're supposed to be a capitalist society, and they're trying to run us like we are a dictatorship. I know the other, other people can say the same, but it's real significant in health care right now. Because I don't know if you realize it or not, but the government has control of everything right now. They're hollering pandemic crap just to keep control of everything. But they still don't have control of the health care field. The health care industry has too many factors involved. Um, I don't know how many of y'all know, how many would you guess were retiring every day? How many people a day are turning 65? Do you have a clue? If you said five, 6,000, you'd be way, way short. We're running about 10,000 a day. So you've got 10,000 people every day turning 65. How many of those took early retirement at 62? The birth rates are declining. All of that statistical information is out there. We got people that don't want to work, which causes, which is the labor shortage, and that's on all the industries, all across the board. But it's hitting home health now. Now it's starting to hit the factors that the government tried to push real hard. And, I, and I've got home health nurses and hospice nurses. <coughs> I love them to death. They're invaluable to the healthcare team. But they're now starting to see their their employees really. They're starting to really take a hit. They were short just like everybody else were, but they're starting to take a hit now big time. Home health and personal care aides, PCTs in the hospital, CNAs in the nursing homes. That's, this is going to be the fastest growing industry in our country, and we have nobody taking the classes. We got nobody giving the classes. Um, the hospitals are doing everything they can to run their PCT courses. Uh, nursing homes just now are going to start doing CNA classes again in August. And are we going to put them through all the BS crap? You've got a nursing shortage. You can't come up with a way to fix because here we go with that. The schools that do the nursing education, they want you to have all these prerequisites. Well, this is a time in history where you're fixing to have to put up or shut up. This is a time in history where you're fixing to have to decide what's more important, having somebody to send there and care for somebody or make our money strictly off of the, them taking these prerequisite courses that don't matter. Um, survey of physics. When, is an RN going to be determining the, the rate of concave or convex of a, a water droplet? No. No. Do I think that we need anatomy and physiology? Yeah, I do. I think we could just incorporate that in the nursing program and call it, oh, I don't know, a body structure and function. We already have that, but yet they before you can take that course, you still have to take A&P because the college says you got to have an English and a math and a, and a grab science and all that. we got to cut all that crap out. If we're going to start producing nurses, we need to start producing nurses at a fast pace. When I went through nursing school, I went, and I went through quite a few years ago, it was an accelerated program, but an LPM program, 10 months. 
Well, right at 11 months, but 10 months. And we had 40 hours of clinical a week, plus we had to get our patients, plus we still had to take all of our tests. I mean, it's hard, hard, hard doing nursing school anyway. But then when you add all these prerequisites prior to or during your first semester, it's almost impossible. And they say that's to weed out the ones that really don't want to do it. Well, you've got to come up with a decision to all these educators out there. What are you going to do? What ideas have y'all brought forth to help with this shortage? And to the State Departments of Health, what are y'all doing? What have y'all done to increase the nurses and nurse staffing in, in your states? I, one place you can start, and it's a very unpopular idea, um, but if, let's say a hospital's got 20% of their staff is LPN, their nursing staff, and they've been an LPN consistently for five to 10 years, don't you think they might have learned enough on-the-job training to be able to do an RN's job? And I'm not talking about the specialty areas, folks. I'm talking about med surge, where the people that's been working med surge can then now be moved over into the specialty areas, ICU, ER. I mean, there's a, they, there's a way to do this. And nobody wants to give it up. Nobody wants to give up their cut of the pie. Well, people are going to have to start giving up their cut of the pie, or nobody's going to have any pie to eat. There won't be no cake. There won't be no pie. And you won't be able to have that and be able to eat it too. Especially if you're the one sitting in the emergency room, sitting in a chair having a heart attack because there's not enough nurses in the back to take you back and give you that amp of, of streptokinase. Or set you up and give you a bag of lidocaine start TPA. What's it going to be then? Well, we should have listened to... We should have listened back in 2020 when they said, yeah, you should have, but you didn't. And you still ain't, and you refuse to. Same thing with the government. Everything's hunky-dory fine until it affects one of them. Do you want to know why a war of opioids started? Everything was going fine. The pill mill doctors were getting found out all over the country, and they were... Sometimes they would do it. Oh, it's because they're doctors, and they have all this respect. When they were pumping out three and four thousand pills a week in in opioid crisis, the reason the opioid crisis became a crisis is because the senator's son overdosed on hydros, and I'm talking about hydrocodone. Then it became a crisis. See, it only becomes a crisis when it affects the people in D.C. It only becomes a crisis when it affects people in your state capitals. You, in order to change what the outcome is going to be, you've got to change it from the inside out. And nobody's making an effort to change it from the inside out, not even nurses themselves. We stay too busy fighting over titles that we lost count of the big picture. I don't care if you're an RN. I don't care if you're an LPN. Because the only title that matters right now is nurse. The scope of practices are so narrow between each other, not narrow our scope of practices. Our scope of practices on both sides are so broad, there's space between them, super narrow. We've got to find a way to bridge that gap. And that means all you caring nurses out there who's caught up with the following things. Oh, he's just an LPN. I am not going to allow these med techs to give my medicines.
because I don't trust anybody. Well, that's fine. Don't trust anybody. And keep complaining because it takes you more than eight hours to chart. I'm not going to. I just don't think a PCT can do. A PCT can do a lot. I wish I'd have had PCTs when I was working the ER 15 years ago. Somebody to do my EKG. Somebody to draw my lab work to keep me ahead of the game. As long as I know everything is done. Then I can go on to my next one knowing everything is done. And then when everything comes back, I can get all the pertinent information, pull it forward, hand it to the doctor so he can get in there, do his job, get the patient seen, and get them out. Because the Karens in the waiting room are worried about how long they've been there. Not that we're trying to provide care for the person they brought. In the meantime, we're trying to deal with the Karens in the waiting room, and we got to turn around and deal with a Karen to work with. I know y'all don't like it. I know nobody wants to hear it, but it's the truth. The biggest problem in the healthcare industry is really within the industry, and it's the Karens that are there. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. And if you happen to be a Karen nurse, well, sorry, but you're part of the problem. You've always been part of the problem. We used to have cute little names for it, RN-itis, nurse-itis. When the real problem is, don't come to work to try to control things because you can't control things at home. And you think we're in a crisis now? Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Think about this. If right now we're averaging 10,000 a day, turning 65, how many millions is that going to be in 2040? Right now, we're averaging about six and a half million people at retirement age. So how many is that going to be in 2040? Anybody want to take a stab, take a guess, see if you can do the math real quick in your head? By 2040, we're looking at approximately approximately 14 million. Why? Because our health care is better than anybody else's in the world. Our people are living longer. Uh, by 2040... This group over 85, they're going to be the one that needs all the care. And at the current rates, we're not, it's going to take us 10 to 15 years to recover from the nursing loss that we had over the last two years. Because of the stuff I have mentioned before. Plus, people don't stay in the field once they get in it. Some people have quit. I'm, I'm the only one I think still nursing out of my nursing class of 30. Everybody else moved up, got there another degree, did uh, administrative work, went to work for insurance companies, or quit altogether and went to dealing cards at the casino. Uh, one lady, some kind of district manager for McDonald's, making way, way, way more than a nurse. What the, I, I did see a study, and I forget what state it is, Virginia, North Carolina, somewhere on the eastern seaboard. They're, they're predict just that one state is predicting their nursing shortage in the next 10 years to be approximately 23 or 25. I can't remember what the number is. It'll say the lowest. Let's say it's uh, just Virginia, which is right by D.C. And they're supposed to be short, twenty say, 20,000 nurses in the next 10 years. 
you know that this tells me that the demand's not going to go away because it's being driven by the aging population. In other words, there simply ain't enough workers to support the elderly population that's growing. We can't replace the workers that are not there because some of them are needing care themselves. We can find the workers to do them jobs and that only solves half of the that's only half the solution to our problem. Well, why don't you just go get some of those agency people? Well, I hate to tell y'all, but the agency number numbers and the agency monies have the bubbles burst. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to admit it. Um, and they're griping about three and four thousand dollars a week right now. I'm on one of these nursing pages. They're, they're griping about three or four thousand dollars a week. Like that's that's not enough money because they're used to making eight to ten thousand dollars a week. I get that part. I understand it. But people that thought that that was going to sustain, they were living in a dream world. Even I was aware that it wasn't going to sustain because I already worked one shortage. And back then, I was making good, good money. I was making about 2000 a week. That was in six, seven, eight, nine. But in 08, the, bu- the bubble burst again. See, I've already lived through it one time. And I found that just doing the round agency, what we call per diem, going to work a building here or there and just filling in, being a warm body, pays the bills. And and for those of you that think that CNAs and PCTs are, are paid on par with fast food restaurants, they, they kind of are, but they're not. They have to have shift differentials and weekend differentials and all that to get up to $15, $16, $17 an hour, depending on what part of the country you're in. But a majority of all the, what I call, primary foundation workers in a nursing home and hospital the CNAs and the PCTs and, and that, that they live below the federal poverty line. Most of them can't afford health insurance because they can't afford to lose the health insurance that it costs on the pay that they get. Their workloads are super, super heavy. And it used to be CNAs would have seven to ten residents and now it's twelve to twenty five. And that causes burnout. That means they're going to leave. Why, why should they work at $13 an hour in a nursing home? A, dealing with caring nurses, and B, dealing with caring family members. Not C-A-R-I-N-G, but K-A-R-E-N-S. They get burnout. They don't go back. So they switch, some people switch, I've seen them switch over to housekeeping jobs in, in, in the hospitals and nursing homes. And then that's a stressor. Then they don't do that. They may go to McDonald's. Because it sure hell is a lot easier to deal with the public not having a hamburger dress right once in a while than to deal with all the crap they've got to put up with in the, in the healthcare industry. And the government says they want to change the staffing. You've got other problems to fix before you can even get to staffing. Our representatives and our senators and our president. I'm going to pause right there just for a second. Let me have no idea 
They have no idea what it takes to be a healthcare worker. I would love to take one of those aged people that's telling us what we can and can't do and walk their ass around. Well, I'd probably mistake our president for a patient. So, oh, we can't do that. And these COVID subsidies for staffing and stuff have thrown the care model into a flux. I don't think we're never we're never going to be able to recover from. The government wants to really, they really want to 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 get involved and fix it, to get to what they're wanting to do. The very first thing they have to do is fix what's coming before it happens. And they can't do that because they're too busy pumping out $1.7 billion to a country in a war to pay their health care workers. Now, it's not anything that I made up. That was what they put out on the news. And if you read the, the, the bill that approved that monies, that's exactly what it says. They act like they've done something real big. But every healthcare worker in America should be so damn mad right now at our government for doing stupid shit. Affecting the people that we're supposed to take care of. And we're just sitting back keeping quiet. We've been running a persistent nursing shortage for years before the pandemic. Hospitals and nursing homes and major conglomerates, even the teaching hospitals, ran skeleton crews in all of these facilities before the pandemic because they were trying to justify their profitability. When COVID hit and the subsidies hit, and they were able to pay nurses ten, twelve thousand dollars a week, especially in the bigger cities where they were short already. And you think you're going to keep them nurses at two and three thousand a week? You're wrong. It's not going to happen. Even me, I will tell y'all now. One job that I had before my current one night I'm in now, but it was in the middle of COVID. I went from making twenty five an hour to making fifty five an hour. That's right, a $30 an hour increase because of COVID. So if I've made that big a, a, a bump in a regular job, and these nurses all quit their regular jobs to travel because they were making $10,000 a week. I mean, I had a friend, he made two hundred fifty-five grand last year, and I talk about him a lot. I, because you don't, I know what this guy boy went through. He deserves every penny he makes. I know what he went through. I said, remember that. There ain't, not every nurse out there is worth that kind of money. Because only the some of those nurses are only there for the money. I like my money, but I can promise you, I've had more than one administrator. And one HR person tell me, quit working overtime, you're breaking the bank. 
There was a time in my... I will tell y'all in 1999, when my kid was being born, I worked at a community hospital and a community nursing home. Now, 1999 is an LPN. I made $77,000 that year. I worked almost every day. That was a ton, a ton of money back then, but that's what I thought I had to do, and I did it. I worked for years that way because I got used to the money. But not everybody's built like that. Now you might get 36 out of a nurse a week. And if the money's not right, you're not going to get anything out of them because they're not coming to see you. Traveling nurses, y'all need to get ready because the market's going back to pre-pandemic levels. You're going to have to figure out, instead of living on $7,000 a week, how to live on $2,000 a week. Because, number one, it's not your fault. You have a valuable service to provide and I'm sure that the American people would love for you to be able to provide that service but if you've made some money and built it up don't work but facilities are swearing they can't afford it and not because they can't afford it they swear they can't afford it Because it messes up the profitability for the board of directors. When we decide that we're fixing to go and fight D.C. for the patients, for the residents, for the assisted living folks, for the aged and for the infirmed, and for the shut-ins in this country. When we make a decision that that's what we're going to fight for and stand up and fight for, not as an industry, but as an industry of nurses, only then will we be able to make a difference in our back pocket, And only then will we be able to care for the people that we're put in charge of caring for. So until next week, this has been the Nursing Underground. You have been listening to the Nursing Underground a podcast dedicated to informing you of the white noise in politics and healthcare and helping you redefine the trees in the forest. Join Big Dave again next week in the Nursing Underground from Ridge Runner Studios.